Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Michael Chan to the podcast. Dr. Chan is Executive Director for Faith and Learning at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. Prior to that, he was Associate Professor of Old Testament at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. He joined Luther Seminary after completing his PhD at Emory University and a year of research and teaching at the University of Helsinki. He's a graduate of Luther Seminary and Pacific Lutheran University. As the Executive Director for Faith and Learning, Dr. Chan directs the Lorenzen Center for Faith and Work and the Daubry Center for Faith and Learning. He also guides Concordia's interfaith relationships and oversees the work of campus ministry. All right, welcome to the show, Michael Chan. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Just that I am really grateful to be here and uh, to be having this conversation. Um, sounds like you've had a really rich lineup of, uh, of of folks on the podcast and talking about some really important topics. So hopefully we can, you know, make a little bit of a contribution to that. So thanks for the invitation. Yes, thanks so much for being here. I've really been fortunate to talk to some some cool people and learn from them and. Uh... Get a bunch of free books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one of the great things about podcasting is that, you know, the publishers now are quite aware of how yeah. important the kind of organic growth that can come from a podcast and sort of micro-targeting audiences this way. And, and they're more than willing to send books. So that's great. <laughs> I just got an email today about I'm going to get a couple of Andy Root books. I'm super excited about that. Oh yeah, so he's he's a good friend and a former colleague at Luther Seminary, and uh, in my the former podcast uh, Gospel Beautiful, he was on I think a couple different times. So mm-hmm. the the recent book he's got on innovation and some of the critique he has there is is really important. I mean, it's it's interesting, Andy. When that book was coming out, Andy and I had lunch together because he knew I thought differently about some things. But mm-hmm. um, I, nonetheless, it is a book that people should listen, especially kind of at this time when innovation is in the air, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a buzzword. And he offers, I think, an important, um, uh, uh, you know, commentary. So, yeah, we're getting into it already here. I just finished a book called uh, Stuck. Um, I think it's from Fortress Press. I'm hoping to have some of the authors on, but they kind of talk about some of the challenges of what they call futurism. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of tendency to throw away all the past stuff, um, norms and, and social guidelines of the past for church. Anyway, um, looking forward already here, what we're getting into, but let's, <laughs> let's get back to, uh, let's get back to basics here. Share if you would kind of about your journey of faith, what that looked like in the past, what that looks like today. Yeah. Well, I was raised uh, within the ELCA church, but uh, in the Southwest. So I'm from Northern Arizona. And uh, currently we live in Moorhead, Minnesota. And so kind of, 
I think like Southwest West Coast Lutheranism feels really different, you know, than, than <laughs> Upper Midwest Lutheranism. Partly just because of the cultural differences, right? Like the kind of cultural assumptions that one and, and mores that one feels up in the Upper Midwest related to Lutheranism just often don't exist um, mm-hmm. in in uh, in the Southwest, unless you're of course in kind of one of these uh, snowbird communities, and then it <laughs> that's a little yeah. bit different. But so yeah. I'm born and raised in the ELCA. I I really didn't kind of connect personally with that expression of faith until church camp. So I went to a Lutheran camp in Arizona called Aloma, Arizona Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Association, and and it was life-changing for me. I was there as a young camper and then was invited to be um, a, 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 an assistant counselor. I was a CIT, what do they call it? Uh, um a counselor in training, that's what it is, mm-hmm. and in middle school. And, and it, it revolutionized it, uh, how I think about the faith and that rooting in the faith became real to me um, it, in, in that context. And it was there that I really heard a call to teach uh, the Bible, which at the time I assumed was kind of a, Paul, a call toward being a pastor. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, I felt such a deep disjunction between my experiences at camp, which were very uh, tangible and impactful and my experience at church back in my ELCA congregation. And so it set me on this kind of interesting journey where I was kind of floating back and forth between my ELCA church, which had a fantastic pastor, in fact, uh, his name is, now he's now retired, Steve Bergeson, um, uh, a Norwegian pastor, also a graduate of Luther Seminary. But he had been through kind of the charismatic renewal of the 1970s. And so he had this like ability to pastor me and to recognize some of the things I was experiencing because he had been through it himself and mm-hmm. and was deep. So he was just a perfect guide. But I was kind of going back and forth between evangelical charismatic communities and uh, the ELCA. And that kind of was all through uh, college. I went to Pacific Lutheran University and really was not much involved with Lutheran campus ministry at all. I was part of a, a number of charismatic groups and um, uh, met my wife there and uh, um so it was really kind of deeply embedded within charismatic and even Pentecostal Christianity until uh, I went to Luther Seminary as a master's student to study Old Testament with uh, the the great and now deceased uh, Terry Fretheim. Hmm. And, and that's where um, I really reconnected. It's where I was able to hear the, the gospel as Lutherans sing it, um, hmm. sort of mm-hmm. in, in a native kind of way, and in a way that connected with my experiences of the spirit among charismatic Christians, you know? So Mm. that's, sorry, that's a really lengthy answer. No, that's fine. That's um, fine. That's sort of the trajectory. And, and, and really where I find myself still today is trying to negotiate these different expressions of Christianity, both of which I, I I have, I I deeply value, but also have criticisms of as well. Yeah. As you might imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, what are some spiritual practices that have been meaningful for you? Yeah. Well, as a, you know, as a Bible kind of guy wrestling with scripture in really detailed ways and with its particularities are really, really important for me. Um, and that extends to uh, really deeply engaging the, the Jewish tradition as well. Uh, the other covenant community, as it were, that that exists on this mm-hmm. earth, and it's it's just very important for me through friendships and through and through deep study to be engaged with Judaism and with its own uh, kind of 
body of post-biblical literature, you know, sort of the rabbinic uh, body of literature. So that's one, is to be engaged in an interfaith way. Um, mm-hmm. Second is just the engagement with Scripture itself, um, with uh, with the, the biblical text. And then I think thirdly, uh, intercessory prayer, praying for others. Um, this is a spiritual practice that I have really appreciated getting from my Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Um that sort of standing in the gap on behalf of others or behalf of institutions or uh, one's family and friends is just mm-hmm. a really important thing for me and something that I continue to return to. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, ha- I had Michael on the pod. Um, I've been following his work loosely here for a while and reached out and said, Hey, you know, I'd love to have you on and talk about some stuff. And he sent me an article for potential discussion that really, uh, really resonated with me. Uh, it's an article called Faithfulness in a Time of Collapse. So catchy title there. <laughs> <laughs> Cultivating Seeds of Hope, written by him and Dwight Shiley, who I've had on the on the pod in the past. And I guess maybe I'll ask you the question I usually ask authors. Like, I mean, this is, I don't want to say clickbait, but it's a, it, the, the the headline grabs your attention. Yep. Uh, talk about like, you know, what kind of inspired uh, the the idea of writing this article. Yeah, yeah. We should we should have made it even more clickbaity, you know, and maybe said something like, uh, "If you can answer these three questions, you are clearly <laughs> living in a time of collapse." <laughs> um, uh, no, but it, it is it is okay. So that the the, the the title is. Um, seizing it is meant to seize the attention of the, of the reader and part mm-hmm. of that is that you know it's an article about Jeremiah in part right and and Jeremiah as a prophet is a very dramatic person by which mm-hmm. i mean and for him it's life and death right like he is yeah. he is he is trying to catch the attention of his audience because he believes that something imminent and dangerous is about to happen to them and and we see this throughout the prophets that they're quite many of them are are, are using uh, visual means, auditory means, textual means to try and get the attention of their people because they uh, they think they have something important to say. And um, so th- it's an article that focuses especially on Jeremiah and some of the connections between the own his own um, kind of age of collapse in which he lived yeah. and uh, what Dwight and I perceive to be a potential uh, moment of collapse for us within uh, mainline denominations. Yeah, I mean... Uh- I think um, I just had Ryan Burge on, who's an uh, American Baptist, and I think um, in the, in the Stuck book I mentioned they they both have statistics in there. I mean, it's not pretty. It's just like a it's a drastic slide uh, downward for most mainline Protestant denominations. And you have kind of five points in the article, and the first one I think is frankly I, I appreciate the most, mm-hmm. and it, and that's what. Uh, call a thing what it is. And uh, let me just share, like from my perspective, uh, I work in a lot of different contexts. Um, uh, Interestingly enough, like the church I'm serving in now is like the fifth Christian tradition I've worked in technically, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. But one of the things that I see that, and frankly really annoys me is I feel like in so many mainline Protestant traditions, there's this kind of like, I don't know even what to call it. It's just like naivety, like pretending it's not really as bad as it is, which just drives me mm-hmm. insane. Um, and I get like this whole like 
and I imagine you'd agree, like thinking in terms of abundance rather than scarcity is a good thing, but also like when we're constantly bleeding money, we need to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. So talk more about kind of um, this idea of calling a thing what it is. And you, and you have this quote or you and you and Dwight have a quote, leaders must be clear eyed and transparent about the challenges um, that we're facing. So t- can you talk more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's a, that's an important question. Uh, let me start with Jeremiah because that's what I know best. Yeah. Um, one of Jeremiah's greatest challenges was dealing with denial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is anal- that is true for us today as well. That uh, And the hardest work of leadership really is determining what the right questions are to be asking. And mm-hmm. then, you know, as a follow-up, persuading people to, uh, uh, to see those questions as, as the critical ones. Because there are all kinds of questions that we could potentially ask in a given yeah. moment. The questions is, which are the right ones and to what end? Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think like the... Uh, Part of one of the hardest things we have to do is to call a thing what it is, but then also the follow up to persuade people to see it in such a way. And this is so much of what Jeremiah had to do. I uh, think about his famous temple sermon in chapter seven, where he is really trying to convince people that it's not okay for them to uh, to come to the temple of the Lord and to call on God's name, and then to do harm to their neighbor or to misuse uh, a God's name and to, and then to assume that there won't be um, repercussions or that there, or that there won't be, uh, that the seeds will never come to fruition. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's the denial that Jeremiah is facing is that uh, uh, um, people don't want to recognize that their deeds will bear fruit. Hmm. Now you offer a really practical uh, but also, I think pretty wise recommendation for pastors, and I've I've heard this I think in a similar way from someone like Tom Rainier, a Baptist Southern mm. Baptist guy. Uh, him and in his podcast, him and his co-host will often talk about kind of strategic patience. You kind of have the inverse here of um, disappointing, <laughs> yeah, disappointing at a rate people can stand, uh, which is interesting. Uh, talk more about that. What 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 that idea is and maybe what it looks like on a practical level. Well, look, it, I mean, uh, Jeremiah lives in a deeply disappointing time. Like nobody wants to hear that their most precious institutions, like the, in, in the case of ancient Israel, the kingship and, and their, you know, this, this beautiful city of Jerusalem, which is really, it is the city of God, right? Um, is potentially going to fall depending on the actions that they take. Nobody wants to hear that. Like it's, it's not just disappointing, it's devastating news. Um, And so, uh, but that's part of the call, you know, Uh, I think part of the difficult call of leadership and to be uh, in Christian leadership is to offer that news. Thankfully though, um, calling a thing what it is and confessing a thing for what it is, is deeply part of our tradition, right? Mm -hmm. At least within like Lutheran, well, no, it's not just for Lutherans, but but we often do a confession each, each week, right? Yeah. It might sound something like we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. So what does that look like institutionally for us to say? We confess that we as a, as a congregation or an institution are also deeply bound to our own sin and, yeah. uh, uh, and the fruits of it are ev- everywhere to see. How might God be calling us into a new day or what, what, how might the Spirit be summoning us into new life? And so calling a thing what it is is really 
recognize, looking ourselves squarely in the mirror with the help of the Holy Spirit and saying, now God, what uh, will you do? Hmm. Hmm. The second, the second thing you have here is uh, to, to not be, or don't be distracted. Um, and I immediately thought of, and I think this is the challenge that many church leaders are facing as we, I don't know, come out of COVID or whatever, you know, after COVID 2020 is, is wrestling with, like we talked about with uh, our friend, mutual acquaintance friend, R- Ryan Panzer. And, yeah. you know, his, a lot of his work talks about like what needs to stay in line, what should be done in person. How do you know what's worth keeping with what's worth, what's worth leaving? Um, you're right that much of the activity at least as I'm reading this in church is simply distracting from the core work of cultivating Christian faith, identity and discipleship in contemporary culture. So the question is, and I'm kind of long winded here Mm. is, is, is is there too much happening? Is there too much church activities happening? Yeah, I think, so I think part of what we're trying to do there is to invite people to consider that like the many congregations that I've been a part of are very reluctant to let, go of of kind of habits and practices that have been there a very long time and are mm-hmm. hesitant to say, does this particular practice, whatever it might be, uh, continue to serve our primary calling within this community? Now, there are some ways in which that it has to be determined on a congregation by congregation basis, right? Because there are some congregations that will be called into a particular kind of uh, ministry and uh, others that will be called into others. So it has to be sort of done there. We're we're just trying to urge people to ask the question, like, is this life-giving, what we're doing here? Does it co- serve the core function of the church? And if the answer, you know, is no, then here, you know, here comes again sort of the the call of, of the leader to kind of deliver disappointing news or at least mm-hmm. to help uh, help shepherd a process that might result in disappointment and maybe even legitimate pain. You know, that's 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 part of the challenge there too. So we just want people to be open to asking that question, but, but in order to effectively ask that question, you have to know why you exist. Yeah. (laughs) Why does the church exist? What is it there for? Um, And, and here I would point us to the, to the ministry of the gospel, to the ministry of, to the, to the marginalized, to the, to the call to be a place where the gospel can be clearly heard in the vernacular of uh, uh, of the community. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So, uh, a follow up question, if I can, and and correct me here if if uh, if I'm off base or maybe I'm taking this too literally, but I wonder, like, are we expecting too much of church? In so, I'm thinking here of um, in the United Church of Christ, they have this kind of. Uh, be the church statements where it says, protect the environment, care for the poor, forgive often, reject racism, fight for the powerless, share earthly and spiritual resources, embrace diversity, love God, enjoy this life, which are all, all fabulous, wonderful missions, each one in and of itself. But I wonder, and again, correct me if, if you, you disagree here, like, is asking a church to be all that, is that too much? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I my mind immediately goes to the to the topic of vocation, which was really mm-hmm. important to Luther, and 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 for Luther, vocation is really all. I, I'd like to f- think about it as all of the different ways 
in which this world lays a claim on us or mm-hmm. all of the different ways in which um, uh, we are summoned in the world in response to its needs and pain and hope. And so while the church as an institution, you know, may not specifically be called you know, a given community church or whatever, be specifically right. called to address every single one of those needs. Um, I, I think as human beings, we are right. called in various and mysterious ways to uh, respond to, again, the hopes, pains, needs, dreams of the world around us. And so I would say that all of those topics are just different ways of naming the neighbor and mm. uh, a different kinds of neighbors. And yeah, how we as an individual congregation or the church more broadly decide or are called to address them is a sort of a different question, I think. And, yeah, yeah. Good. Thanks for sharing that. You know, the fun thing, whenever I talk to folks from, you know, Lutheran, Methodist tradition, uh, y'all have your, like your people you go back to. And I always laugh about like our friends in like the peace USA, you or, uh, Mm-hmm. Um, who are like, who do they have a guy that they always name? <laughs> well, Calvin probably would be of a great, or Karl Barth would be of great importance to them. Oh, that's good. That's fair. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yes. Within the reformed tradition, you know, yeah. there are a lot of great reformed theologians with, uh, that come out of, uh, you know, that they, re- that they lean on. Yeah. yeah. Um, For me, it's Luther, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm ordained disciples of Christ. So it's always like, oh yeah, Alexander Campbell. Woohoo. that's great all right uh back back to back to focus here um the third point you have is identifying the remnant um and this is this is something i really appreciate again as the article try to find or look for some more hopeful um things like you ask these questions what work does church do in people's lives Uh, and i'm wondering like i imagine this is probably something you have experienced um with your background and charismatic Christianity and Pentecostal Christianity, the importance of testimony. I grew up independent Baptist, so it was more restrained, but testimony was still an important part of that faith tradition. Um, Sharing our stories, like talk more about that, what that might look like. This is really important to me. um, And one of the many gifts that I received from my evangelical colleagues, Pentecostals, charismatics is this, uh, this, the spiritual practice of testifying to how God has been at work in your life. And it's something that the, the main line has really lost track of in, yeah. in a lot of ways um, and to their own loss, you know, um, I think part of it is, is just a, I think there's a class element here where there's yeah. a deep discomfort among many to talk about how God might actually be at work in the world. And to sort of make that claim and and to do so from, you know, the particularities of your own story. And I sort of get that, right? But um, but it is nonetheless, I think, a practice we're called it, it is it is something that the Bible, I think, summons us into. And we, of course, will do it imperfectly, but I do think it's an important part of our kind of evangelistic witness and and also just an important part of the way that we uh identify God's work in our midst. I mean, just think about how uh, when, when when there isn't a practice of publicly testifying to how God is at work in congregation members' lives, it denies people an opportunity to see how God might be at work in their lives in surprising ways as well. Yeah, and, yeah. I just think there's a real gift in being able to testify about God's God's. Work. What are some practical ways you've seen it played out? I mean, in mainline contexts. 
Yeah, so before I left Luther Seminary, there was a great group of students, staff, and faculty who had these talks called Why Jesus? Uh-huh. And and basically, they would just invite different people over the lunchtime period to talk about why why Jesus mattered, you know, for them and their lives. And um, and and it was just so moving to hear uh, the, the different stories. I, I myself had a chance to talk about that too, and to just hear about places that people have been and how they see the Lord accompanying them in those places. So this is a practice. This is a practice that I think we need to be leaning into very heavily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of leaning, uh, the fourth point you and Dwight make is to lean on God. Um, You're right. We are not alone. And maybe this is the hardest thing for, uh, (laughs) hardest thing for our good mainline friends for us to remember. Perhaps that we're not alone and we can lean on God. Talk more about, uh, where that comes from and what you hope for it. Yeah. Well, there are many signs, I think, that our denominational structures are in the midst of collapse. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, uh, and and that can be a very scary thing. Um, but I think it's important to remember that that the collapse of of a denomination is not the same thing as the failure of the gospel, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. uh, God has God has a mission in this world. God has a longing. God's heart uh, 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 beats for this entire creation, and God will uh, make sure that 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 mission is accomplished. That's part of what God promises, right, to this world is that there will one day come a time when what is now promised will be reality. And so, God, that's not the issue: is is the gospel going to fail? Right. Mm-hmm. The question is whether our institutions at this given moment, our churchly institutions, are. Um, uh, are, are equipped and and uh, to to um, be partners in that task, you know, to be uh, uh, agents within the world for that for that task, and so, um, but so that's kind of scary, right? Institutions collapsing; it's a slow collapse, to be sure, uh, over many decades. But it's one that's been in the process for a long time, and that we have largely been in denial of. And in that, but in the midst of collapse, it's easy to be scared. Uh, what I think we are called to, though, is to trust. And let me sh- share an image with you that my former teacher, Terry Fretheim used to use when he taught Jeremiah. He would say that, um, Jeremiah, th- think about a, a kind of canoe that is floating down a river and that is very slowly moving toward a waterfall. Mm-hmm. And imagine Jeremiah is in the canoe with all these people saying, hey, look, you know, this waterfall is coming. We should probably try to move the boat ashore. And uh, he fails to convince them ultimately. And so they are going to go over the edge. Um, uh, And after they go over that edge, God is going to be there in the canoe on the other side to help pick up the pieces. And so even though we are going through a time of, of profound collapse, it's important that we remember uh, that we are none the, that, that, that we are accompanied in that, in that sort of dark night of the soul or in that time of deep sorrow that we do not walk it alone, even mm-hmm. though it will be a, a time of profound pain, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask something more practical, perhaps. And this is my observation. You, you might perceive things or feel things differently. Something, something that I notice uh, is I feel like, you know, years ago I used to think that denominations would collapse from the top down. And I sort of wonder if it's going to be the inverse where, it, again, at least as I see it, in my context, local churches close, 
middle judicatories, middle judicatories kind of sell their buildings, eat up that profit, uh, or take take those those uh, earnings from the sale of buildings and pro- and property. Um, they seem to ask more and more of local pastors, which again, mm-hmm. again in my context, feels like it it limits the work that local pastors can do in their neighborhoods and their in their church ministries. Like, a, do you think that's an unfair um, observation? And then b, like, what do you think um, in this time of collapse we need to be asking from our uh, institutional authorities, leaders, structures? Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what to think about the sort of bottom up, top down. I just don't have a, a, sure. an opinion on it yet. Sure, sure. You know? um, but what I would say about what we need to be doing now is, like Jeremiah, we need to be thinking in the very long term, and we need to be thinking in terms of kind of the way that a farmer thinks in terms of seasons. Mm, yeah. And so the question, to my mind, is what seeds ought we be planting now? What land needs to be tilled right now? What, uh, what is the work that needs to be done um, that is at the core kind of calling of the life of the church? Again, the, 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 the preaching of the gospel, the making of disciples, the yeah. caring for the marginalized. All the, however, a person kind of thinks about those, yeah. that core work, that needs to be sort of our exclusive focus is our core work together in determining what that expression looks like locally. And then uh, hopefully our, our kind of denominational leaders will will um, help us to identify that and, and invest in it really heavily, even though saying yes to one thing might be saying no to another, and that's the mm-hmm. hard work of leadership. Yeah, yeah. You know, I recently read the book, um, The In- Infinite Games by Simon Sinek, yep. and I don't know I don't know about his faith background or whatever, but I, I really resonated with the book, A, because um, I kind of loathe most business practices today, and I really loved he spent like a chapter uh, bashing Milton Friedman, which I thought was <laughs> totally warranted. Uh, but more broadly speaking, it really resonated with me because I look at myself and think of myself as like someone who's invested in, to use his words, the infinite game, the kingdom of God. Uh, so for me, like, I'm like, you know, I believe, um, I believe that the church is how I believe that we're supposed to, how the, the kingdom of God is going to get manifest, for instance. Uh, and, so again, within that kind of context, it's it's a it's a long term game to use your words. It's a long term yeah. effort. Um, like to go back to your your second point of of or, or excuse me, your first point of disappointing at a rate people can stand is is that like a lot of the work? Just like saying, hey, like we know this is a long game. We know this is an infinite game. Like we're gonna have a lot of losses here, yeah, in the short term. Yeah, and what those losses? I, th- I think that is an important part of the call, to be sure. And and in fact, there's a great example of this happening within the book of Jeremiah. The I'm sure your audience and you will be very familiar with the famous verse from chapter 29, right? Verse 11. For I know the right. plans that I have for right. you. Um, it's an important chapter, but it's actually a chapter in which Jeremiah's primary goal is to disappoint them. <laughs> and, and this is what's often often missed in sort of the Americanization of that verse. It's, a, it's an epistle that Jeremiah writes to the leaders of uh, in, in exile in Babylon. And 
basically that he's he's still in conflict with prophets uh, who are there in exile and who are saying to the people, hey, look, God's going to save us really soon. We're going home. You know, uh, maybe even some of them were causing political disruption within the area. And part of what Jeremiah is doing is saying, no, we are going to be here a long time. You need to have kids, marry them off, and marry them off, you know, and 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 pray for the peace of the city, pray for its shalom, because in its shalom will be your shalom. And so he's really telling them to settle in, um, and because and and uh, because there is going to be a future hope, and that hope will be one that many of the audience at that time would not see. It's a multi-generational hope. And that's what that verse is about. It's, I know the plans that I have for you all. It's not you in the singular. It's you all as sort of my people um, to to, uh, bless you and to prosper you, et cetera. But that's going to be a future hope long off in the distance. And with our kind of current uh, short attention spans, some of the most difficult work of leadership is the work where we sow the seeds that won't grow for generations, but that's what we have to do. Boy, sowing the seeds that won't grow for generations. That's good. That's good. Um, The last thing you have in the article is cultivating seeds of hope. And again, I think you kind of mentioned this quote here, but I'll read it again, just because this is out to me. The collapse of so many Christian institutions does not signal the end of the Christian or of Christ's gospel ministry in the world and our calling to make disciples. Um, how do we get away from, or how do we get away from perhaps this, uh, I can't think of the word, um, acclamation, equalization of our institutions as the Christian faith, or whatever, and cultivate those seeds of hope. Yeah, I think part part of what we have to do is look to other expressions of Christianity that have lived through seriously uh, traumatic and difficult times. I think in particular of the black church within America, yeah. um, which yeah. is uh, a, a remarkable tradition. And it's very diverse, right? Like there right. is no sort of like single black theology or whatnot, but, um, but it is a tradition that both tells the truth about how it sees the world and what it's experienced, but also is able in remarkable and I would say miraculous ways to find hope. And there are so many voices that a person could point to, and not all of them agree, uh, you know, with one another. But I think uh, the kind of, um, the decentralizing of especially mainline, predominantly white churches to sort of the margins of society, no Mm -hmm. longer putting it at the center, really is an uncomfortable place for it, but it's one where we need to really look to our kind of siblings in faith who have been in that space in many ways yeah. for their entire existences and to say, okay, we need we have something to learn here. Boy, I'm glad you mentioned that, A, because I can promote, I have an episode probably before you on the Black Church, but B, I think that's a great example because you think about some of even more practical matters within the Black Church, I'm thinking like, you know, often pastors are bivocational. Um, hmm, you know, there's a long tradition of uh, they they certainly have a, a long tradition of community engagement and social activism. So there's that testimony there. Obviously, they've been uh, quote unquote. I hate the word successful, but they've been faithful. Perhaps better word through some serious uh, cultural antagonism. Uh, so that's a great example. I appreciate that example. 
Yeah, and if you need a guest recommendation, there's a fabulous pastor, former student, um, Pastor Timothy Jackson, who is in Minneapolis at uh, Impact Living Christian Center, and is is just a he's in a PhD program right now, um, uh, studying uh, African American theology, and is just highly articulate in these matters. He also has spent a lot of time in mainline, uh, predominantly white spaces, mm-hmm. and so he is just a great translator of his tradition. Uh, uh, to people and somebody I'd highly recommend to you. But there are so many important voices within this space, and the question is whether we will be attentive to them. Yeah, yeah, that's fabulous. Thanks for sharing that. Um, last thoughts before we take a break. I mean, uh, again, this is something I, I intend this pod to be practical and and helpful for pastors and church leaders. So talk, if you would, just maybe for a minute or two, like to a church leader, to a pastor. I mean, heck, I'm I still hopefully have a few more years in my career in church ministry. Um, what advice do you have for us, people like me, who are in this and and hope to be in this for at least a few more years yet? Yeah. No, ministry can be, it is, it is a challenging and too often lonely space. Um, I highly encourage all pastors that have some kind of uh, mentor or person who is a little bit further down the road, whether in age or just in wisdom, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to be walking this path with somebody else, preferably somebody who's well outside of your system, you know, and that can kind of, again, call things as they are and help you to, to name them. So first, I'd say be accompanied. Second, I'd say... Um, uh, you also, like we call for in the article, need to attend to these core spiritual practices, um, like the, uh, you know, whether that's in, in prayer and, or in scripture, whatever that looks like for you. Determine what those core spiritual practices are, and uh, and and lean heavy into them, especially in times of adversity, which are, are surely to come. You know, yeah, just a couple things there. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. Um, let's take a break, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Michael Chan. And uh, again, the article, um, we'll make sure to include a link here in the show notes. Faithfulness in a Time of Collapse, Cultivating Seeds of Hope. Uh, Michael Chan co-wrote it with Dwight Shiley. Uh, So these closing questions, Michael, I always encourage folks, you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. uh, But if you're Pope for a day, what would that that ideal day look like for you? Oh, I would quit my job and <laughs> and, and eliminate the office um, for myself. <laughs> um, I don't belong in that space. Um, I, I think, but in all seriousness, and and great love and affection for for the Pope, in fact, um, and my Catholic brothers and sisters, I uh, I think the best thing that that folks in higher leadership can do is to kind of look at look across their sort of spheres of responsibility think about them kind of like a garden and 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 look for where that uh, new and impactful growth is happening and then invest in it right it's this kind of remnant uh remnant uh principle that that we lift up in the article but the, the hard part there is recognizing that you know this is a we are a uh, we we serve a god who is a god of both death and resurrection mm-hmm. right and so sometimes this is the hard part Sometimes the sometimes the most important growth is uh, happening in the midst of death. Hmm. 
And, and so that's sort of the hard part about being attentive to the work of the Spirit is that the Spirit is often at work under the sign of its opposite, right? Uh, it, life, I mean, this is the crucifixion, right? Life looks like death. Death, look, uh, uh, death sometimes looks like life. And so I think that's, that's one of the real challenges is trying to pray for eyes to see how the Spirit is actually at work, especially when it looks to the contrary. I mean, I yeah. think about like uh, when David is anointed right in 1 Samuel and, and uh, you know, Samuel shows up and they're like, all right, bring the sons out. And they don't even bring David out because they're <laughs> like, there's no way this guy is going to be, you know, anointed king. But he is in fact the one who is anointed. God sees differently than we do. And one of our prayers ought to be, God, help me to see as you do. I'm writing that down here. God sees differently <laughs> than we do. Always take lots of notes here. So got to make some, find some space on the page <laughs> for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Oh, those might be different things. Um, Go for it, <laughs> I was yeah. Someone the other the other day that uh, you know I love beloved Martin Luther. He is for me, you know, my primary conversation partner. I don't think he'd do well in the age of Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> in fact, I would say just preemptively ban his account because we know sure. it's not going to be good. Um, but and and nonetheless, he's he's somebody I deeply admire and uh and i'm critical of but in in part because he's so much a pastor i think his his best theology is done when he is operating within pastoral mode Hmm. and and so um that's part kind of a part of luther's life i think that's often overlooked is his the pastoral angle that he brings to just about everything that he Mm -hmm. does who's the other who's the other one then you know that's a good question oh so uh, okay, so I'll just say this. I don't know who this is, but whoever wrote the book of Ruth, I would like to meet that person. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. Uh, the book of Ruth is really kind of my my head is there often these days. It's really probably my favorite Old Testament book in the current moment. Hmm. And I would like to know who that is because uh, whoever it is, whether it's a man or woman, uh, we just don't know who it We don't know who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that this person is a, a brilliant literary mind, and I would like to and a theological mind, and I would love the chance to meet them. That's good. That's good. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Ooh. Um, so this will pivot a little bit to some of the work I'm doing at Concordia College. I, I think um, we live in a moment of tremendous and profound mistrust in institutions, yeah. and the church is one of them. Um Oftentimes, I think in conversations about the church, there's a, it's really easy for us to focus on like trying to diagnose the problems with the church, and we fail to recognize that there that there is a system of distrust and uh, a system wide um, kind of distrust of many different institutions and right. disaffiliation from right. them. And you know, this is sort of famously accounted in uh, uh, Robert Putnam's work, Bowling Alone. Yeah, um, and and I, I think we often miss the mark when we don't recognize that that this is happening society wide and that the church is just one element there uh one one in voluntary institution that people are moving away from so that's important so i think people will, will look back on this agency it is a time of profound institutional distrust and um there's a great book 
uh, by uh, Yuval Levin called A Time to Build. And really what he's calling people to there is that we need to rebuild our institutions so that they are more trustworthy. And that is certainly a call for the church in the current moment. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Um, what are your hopes? What are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Well, that we will attend to that. Well, uh, that we will uh, attend to some of the practices, to the practices we name in the article. That we will learn to call a thing as it is, to see clear, see with clear eyes where we're at. Uh, but then we'll also recognize that even though we live in a time of collapse, um, uh, God is with us, and God is doing new, uh, new things. And uh, um, my hope is that we will be able to perceive them. And uh, that we'll be able to sort of put our shoulder to the plow in 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 that work, and and so that those are my hopes for the future. And I just I have supreme hope that uh, that the spirit will be at work, you know, irrespective of <laughs> how well we respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my my hope, you know, ultimately is in is in the God who makes promises to this world. Yeah. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. I really really appreciate your time and insights. Share if you would. Uh, how people can connect with you and, and the work you're doing now. Yeah, so I uh, work at Concordia College and am the executive director for Faith and Learning. So uh, you can find me on their website and uh, 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 all the kind of different work that we're doing uh, with the Lawrenson Center, with the Dovery Center, and with uh, some interfaith responsibilities and with campus ministry. So I'm kind of in a couple different places, but my main sort of hub is uh, uh, is on Concordia College. You can also find me on LinkedIn, where I have a pretty um, uh, a kind of robust posting schedule around uh, around a lot of the work that I'm doing. So, mm-hmm. and you've got, you've got another podcast going, right? That's right. Yeah. So as part of uh, the Lawrenson Center is a um, is kind of a public facing forum that deals with questions at the intersection of of society, faith, the economy, um, business, and this entire year we're asking the question, and really into next year too, how do we build a more trustworthy world? Mm. And um, it's an important question, and as part of that trying to respond to that question, we have a podcast that's called Builders, where we interview people who have built uh, organizations, businesses, institutions that um, that are, are, are contribute to uh, sort of building more trustworthy communities around them. So yeah, you can find that great. on all the normal podcatchers. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for your conversation and uh, really appreciate your time. I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Yeah. And to you as well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.